Okay. Intro music. The words have gotten all distorted. Welcome back to Fortitude, folks. I'm JW, and my co-host, Brenton Payne, across the table from you. We have a very special show today, Brenton. I need to tell you about something. Uh, so there's some guys here. They're enophiles. Um, this is our new Wait show. Wait a minute. Yeah, no. You said we weren't going to do this controversial stuff, kid crime type thing. I don't like it. But they're already here. Can we go ahead and do that? Do they have a map of where they live? Like around certain neighborhoods There might and be stuff? a dot where they live on a map. Yes. Is that what an enophile is? What I is think an enophile, an enophile is, a, is a person who loves wine, a wine connoisseur. Oh, fair to say, guys. My bad. <laughs> and that's our last big word we're, we're saying. Today. Right. Okay. Weston is the only one smiling. Yeah. Richard's sitting here like, I don't like this joke. I've no. told this joke, but this is not a joke. <laughs> Today's show, Brenton, Chris, uh, on the Fortitude, is the Fortitude Wine Roundtable. You can find us on social media at Fortitude FW if you want to check us out. Today is a special one. We're going to be having some wine today on the show with three gentlemen Weston Eatson, Richard King, and Chris. Keel. Keel. I just mm-hmm. dropped that name, and I'm sorry. Chris Keel <laughs> uh, are going to join us on the show. We'll do some bios on him real quick. Weston Eaton, to my immediate left, he's the founder of Montague Wines. It's a boutique winery showcasing wine from Napa Valley and Sonoma. He started the winery in 2012, right, Weston? 2012, yep. And he focuses <clears throat> on extremely limited production. His mentors were some guys named Jason Moore and Russell Bevan, fair to say. You're a local guy, you're an outdoorsman, a really nice guy, and you, your product here we're gonna try in a little bit, it's fantastic. To Weston's left Thank you. is Richard King. Nice guy. He's the co-owner and general manager of Ellery's Fine Foods, along with Chef Molly McCook. It's a farm-to-table concept. If you don't know Ellerby's and you're listening to the show, you're probably missing on something because he's been around a while and he does a fantastic job. We had your waiter on too. Like Scott, Scott Burton. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had Scott a few months that ago. That was a great yeah. one. He was a good one. Scott or Ginger. He serves as a sommelier <laughs> for the restaurant. He just added a new guy, Chester Cox, correct? Uh, Corey McBride. Corey McBride. Excuse me, I got the name wrong. Yeah. I apologize. Just make our, our, our research, research off, team. Man. Our research team dropped the ball on that one. Um, Richard's a, it's very involved in TCU and the Ford restaurant wine scene, and he can also be found in places like Mardi Gras from time to time. His restaurant is a top ten restaurant in Texas Monthly, a Wine Spectator Best Award for Excellence, Bon Appetit Ten Best Restaurants, James Beard House Preservation Award 2020. He's got a lot of awards, Britain. This guy knows what he's doing in the wine business and the restaurant business. So thank you for being here, yeah, Richard. Thanks, Richard. Whoa, whoa, that's big. And the third guy to Richard's left thank is you, Chris Keel. <laughs> too wrong, Bob. Chris, yeah. Chris Keel. Why did I get that wrong? I, I, I feel like I read that right off the internet. Internet doesn't lie, does it? Internet does not yeah, lie. Right, right. Yeah. is neither today on any of the shows. Fair enough. Fair enough. Update Chris Keel on the, the far right, in the green shirt, is the founder of Put a Cork in It. Chris grew up in Grand, Texas. He's a Midwestern state guy out of Wichita Falls. He worked at a, a company called Club Corp of America, a big company, right, Chris? And he learned, then he learned about waiting tables and has found his passion for wine. Opened, put a cork in it in January of 06. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, it's over in uh, on Park Hill, yeah, right Park by Hill TCU. University, so yeah. very, very familiar place to a lot of people who drink wine. So thank you, Chris Keel, for being here. Yeah, thanks, Colleague. Um, while the show's happening, we're gonna have lots of things happening, but we're gonna enjoy some wine. The first glass that we're all trying is one of Richard's uh, uh, gifts. So what are we having first, Richard? Yeah, um, Bordeaux. It's uh, Ducru Bacayu. You want to say that real quick? Yeah. We pronounce Ducru, it. Right, yes. There you yeah. go. You got nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and so actually I brought this wine. Um, this was the actual bottle and vintage that got me into wine. I have, so this is the second time I ever had it. The first time was with my dad. 
1998. Wow. So second I ever had it was with y'all. So pretty cool bottle for me to bring for a Thank sure. you for sure. And it's what were you doing at that time? Like, yeah. you, did you own it? Was it I was, I was no? do you remember a restaurant, a wine bar called the Grape Escape downtown yeah. across mm-hmm. from Bass Hall? Sure. Yes. Yeah, I was doing that. Oh, very cool. So, uh, yeah, in the in the nineties. So that's and yeah, this kind of this what my what my aha wine would be, if you will. Very nice. Well, thank you for sharing. You bet. First off, we'll start with Weston and go down the road. But uh, Weston, just tell us briefly why is wine special to you? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of grew up around wine. I always loved it. My family always had it at family celebrations and things like that. My dad and granddad were big into it and collected and things and did different events in Fort Worth all the time. I grew up in Weatherford. So I <clears throat> always kind of loved wine and wanted to get involved with it in some way, somehow. And uh, in 2012, took a trip to Napa with my my girlfriend, now my wife, and with some friends and did the typical wine tourist type of thing and met a guy named Jason Moore, who's also from Texas, mm-hmm. and started talking the business with him. I wanted to get in the business somehow. And he said, why don't you just come work production with me, see what you think about that part of the business. And went out there and loved it and started it that year with his help and kind of going ever since. Well what, done. What's something yeah. like that pay uh, production? You were get high, real high pay out there yeah. for that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was uh, a lot of, lot, of, lot of my own, a lot of, it's, I don't know, sweat equity, I guess you yeah. might say, yeah. right? Yeah, and good... Yeah. Uh, Good. Uh, we're familiar with sweat equity. Yeah. 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 Well, it's the perks. I mean, I'm right. sure there were some perks for the being perks out there are good. Too yes. Yeah. It's always fun to hang out with your, comp- it's one of the few businesses hanging out with the competition and trying their stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So, and, and I really, no one ever feels too competitive there Fair in, in, in the business. So everyone's yeah. drinking good wine, having a good time. Well, Richard, you, uh, in, in Weston, your, your, your winery, Montague, it's on the screen now, uh, is your, is your label. You're, very bit well known for Silver Ghost in the Montague. Uh, yeah, varietals. exactly. Yeah, so I do two basically two different labels. So we have Montague, which is all small production, mostly single vineyard wines, mm-hmm. uh, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Cabernet. And um, like I said, it's probably like 150 cases of each wine generally. And then we have Silver Ghost, which is a lot bigger production, almost exclusively Cabernet Sauvignon, one wine from Napa Valley. And you'll see that one a lot more. It's distributed a lot more widely. Um, but two totally separate ideas. One is about single vineyard. One is about using different vineyards together to kind of uh, give a tremendous value in a Napa Valley Cabernet. Very nice. Thank you so, for sharing. Yeah. Richard, you already shared your bottle, a special bottle with us. Um, why is wine, when did it become meaningful to you? Maybe it's that bottle, but why is wine special to you? Uh, well, I think one good reason is all this right here. You know, I mean, these two guys, um, they're my good friends actually through wine. And I think we have a lot of friends and memories through this beverage. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been part of my family since um, we traveled around food and wine when I was a kiddo. Um, and then it's just, it's wine's an absolute awesome passion to have in a life. Um, whether you're way into it, on the nerd side, or just you know wanting to get into it, everybody can relate to a glass of wine somehow with each other. So very good, love it. Um, Definitely, Chris Keel, mm-hmm. uh, put a cork in it. So you, uh, we told your story on the bio. Yeah, uh, when, obviously you're at the Club Corp, Corp of America, right? Uh, yeah, during college, that's how I kind of got into wine. I randomly a gal left and left the bottle on the table and. My buddy was the manager at the time, and I was like, do you want to dump this, throw it away? And he's like, no, let's drink it after shift. So we sat down, and I'd really only drink wine like with my grandparents, like cheap white Zinfandel or whatever. It was, I grew up with beer and bourbon. I mean, sure, I grew up in Graham, Dry, dry County, so you had to mm-hmm. explore your options there. <laughs> yeah. um, 
so yeah, we sat down and we started tasting. And I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And started naming stuff off. He's like, oh, you've had this wine before. I was like, no, I've never had Cabernet. And so it was a Silver Oak 93. Um, so and just got into wow, that way. First bottle? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty wow, good. That's cool. That's cool. Just, then it just clicked. That light came on and just started tasting. And then I got into management. And after college, kind of messed around. But then I got back and you sit down. I always wanted to own my own business. And I sat down and I was like, I think I know most about wine, and I want to explore that. And so, uh, me and my wife opened, uh, yeah, uh, January '06, and almost 16 years now. So it's wow, pretty congratulations. crazy. Congratulations! So, thanks. So things are still going well for put a cork in it. Yeah, we've definitely adapted over the years, ups and downs with the market crash and all that back in 08, 09, and now last year's s show of the world so you can say the word yeah yeah so we had, we've adapted and i mean we've changed and still still here so any future fun. plans for put a cork in it uh, just, just keep it keep it going keep going right. sell a bunch of wine very nice <laughs> drink well, a bunch. i finished my my uh, bordeaux i'm ready to move on to maybe a little silver ghost sure. weston is that okay yeah, with you guys yeah yep. hey weston i'm gonna ask you this like on the labels you have these really cool labels do you does that go how does that go about like how do you go about making a label for a wine bottle yeah um well i'm in that process right now for a new new, new project of mine and it can be tough it can be really hard to get what you want on a label for sure yeah these were actually done by a cousin of mine uh, has a design firm in Los Angeles. They've always done movie posters and things like that. So like they do Call of Duty video games. Oh, so yeah. neat stuff like that. And he was like, we've never done a label. We'll do a label for you. And it'll be kind of cool. They have it in their portfolio. And I get a professional label done by some really great folks and great art. Mm -hmm. So that's how this came about. Uh, if you see on the Montague, um, the Montague kind of, the family crest is the three diamonds. They call the three lozenges. So they just did a riff on that drink. for Silver Ghost. <laughs> yeah. And um, what vintage? Kind of expanded on that to make the little diamond situations. So that's where that came from. But yeah. yeah. And I noticed Richard's wearing the white shirt, which I find very Thanks. brave. Very, very professional. Yeah. Very yeah. Is, is that what it denotes is that, hey, I drink red wine and I'm not scared. It's, it's, scared. It never gets <laughs> out of hand. <laughs> There's a better flag for drinking red wine. It's usually the teeth turn a little purple color. Yeah. Fair oh, yeah. to say. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll get there. Yep. All right. Yeah, we'll good, good. So uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about the winemaking process. I know Weston, you're obviously a winemaker, but you guys have all had some some experience in this in this field. Could you go down the line and tell us a little bit about what goes into making wine? So pretend, uh, you know, Brenton, for instance, doesn't know what's going on with wine. Pretty yeah. safe to say. Pretend or yeah. okay. or just you know, <laughs> sports wine. You know, some yeah. of these things are just not things I I just I don't gravitate towards them. You know. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, first off, we're having Silver Ghost wow, Napa Valley Cabernet. And so, what? We're, that, like they were just saying, we're doing two, both are Cabernet Sauvignon. Both the Bordeaux that we just had and this one right now. There are a few big differences where they're grown uh, and how old they are. So, we have a, one's a 96, which is really nicely aged wine. This And uh, the Silver Ghost is a 2018. And in the different style of wines, one being from Napa Valley, one being from Bordeaux. So that's kind of what we're getting to try right now and mm -hmm. try the differences ourselves. Uh, but yeah, but for, for wine production, really it's grapes and 
put it in a vat and add some yeast or don't add yeast because yeast is around us all the time. So mm-hmm. some people like to do native fermentations. They use the, the yeast that's native on the grapes and it turns into wine. Uh, so there's that's how that's the basic premise of it. It's just how all the things that go in between there when you press, how hard you press, how you manip- uh, how you kind of work the fruit while it's uh, fermenting, the temperatures of the ferment with all those kind of things are where the winemaker comes in. But by and large, it's a process that happens very naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at any at any point, so do oh, s- go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, well, do some winemakers add other things besides that really basic process? You know, they add sugar or water or things yeah, like that. Zinfandels. Yeah, the, the secrets come out. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I mean, so <laughs> moonshine. Can you well, add moonshine to wine? <laughs> There'd be a different answer for each of the things you just said. Uh, you can add water uh, if, if so. For in the in the U.S., you can get hotter temperatures than in France. So, kind of, a, there are a lot of these rules are because of the climate that you're growing the, okay. the fruit in. So, in the U.S., because it gets warmer, we don't have a problem with with getting sugars in the grapes. In yeah. France, they do have more problems, so they're able to add sugar. We don't. We're not allowed to add sugar. Uh, they're not allowed to add acid because they don't need it because it's colder. We are allowed to add acid if we feel like we need a little acid um, or water, those kind of things. But by and large, no. Uh, when you're talking higher end quality, higher end winemaking, it's pretty. The fruit really, you just want the fruit to speak. Is so there like a governing body of like wine? Like it, like you said, they're allowed mm. to. Like, is there like, we're enforcing it, you know, or yes, is it TTB? Okay. Yep. Uh, every country has their own and governing body. Okay. An okay. area. Yeah. Well. yeah. 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 Richard, if I could pose this question to you a little differently, um, what makes a good winemaker a good winemaker, if that's a fair question? I mean, Western, we believe to be a good winemaker, but what makes somebody like Western or somebody who yeah. makes the Bordeaux? Well, makes the balls to wear a white shirt while drinking right. it. <laughs> I mean, Western's good hair, so I think that's, that's a good one. Um, it starts on the vineyard, too. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does, yeah. Um, you know, a good winemaker knows how to, I, I feel, make a wine to where, you know, I, I think the Montague is a good example. To where we can, and we just popped this wine literally five minutes ago. It's going to drink great. Um, also, it's going to be be just as great or even better in ten more years. That's a hard thing to do in a bottle of wine. Um, to where you have consistency um, among vintages, because you know with Weston, he's challenged every year by Mother Nature. Uh, what's thrown at it, fires, mm-hmm. things like that, and so it goes back to what Keel is saying is that. You know, he's in the field and he's also in, you know, in the crush pad. So he's doing both sides. And that's kind of a true representation of a good one maker and being consistent. And um, and I think I think staying true to, to the vine and to the varietal without having to do very much manipulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always say a lot of thing is, is knowing what not to do, um, mm-hmm. knowing when you don't need to try to do something. Because I think our tendencies of any person is try to fix this and fix that, do this and do that. But just kind of knowing when you don't need to do that, when understanding your wine or understanding your, your vines and having worked with the place for a long time, helps how, you know. How would the fires affect it? I mean, this could sound crazy, but you don't taste this. Like, how does the you fire, can, really? You can oh, sure. taste the smoke yeah. in there? Um, yeah, the, the ash gets on the vines and then it gets into the grapes and you do get smoke taint. Do you, as a like a buyer and a reseller, look at like, man, there was a big fire in this area around this time. I'm not buying that because, or or do you look as it is like a rarity? Is it kind of like a uh, most of the time the winemakers won't make the wine. Oh, they just simply it's a, won't make it. It's a flaw. Okay, in the wine. So you're uh, like oh seven. They had fires in Mendocino and it got down in, in the north part of Sonoma and Pinos. You just taste it. And you're like, oh, it's just like campfire. No kidding. Yeah, and man. so. 17, uh, 
You didn't have any smoke tank, did you? No, luckily until, I didn't. Yeah, 17 had a little bit of fires, but most but, stuff was already brought in at 17. Uh-huh. But 20. But 20 is a problem. Did yeah. you make any cab? I didn't, know. Yeah, so. Chris, do you have experience in the winemaking process at all, or do you have any thoughts on no, winemakers in general? <laughs> uh, no, like I was saying, it, it's to me it starts in the vineyard, and you just don't want to F up good fruit. I yep. mean, and not make something chasing scores, trying to make a, a pinot taste like a cab just to get a 95-point score or whatever. So just sure respect enough. the fruit. What's the most popular type of wine you also, like, out of – these, you know, cabs, pinots, things like that. Uh, it's Fort Worth. It's cab. I mean, cab okay. red blends have been hot. I've taken on a, a role uh, uh, trying to sell more Italian wine here lately. Uh, so That's what you sell most at the restaurant for glass for people to eat? I would say the most volume would be Napa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, for sure. But Fort Worth, you know, it's 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 been awesome because Kill, Kill and I have been in business relatively at the same time. We have seen some trends and some different waves in Fort Worth. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, we'll see waves of blends or Sancerre's or Rosé's, and now it's kind of champagne. So um, you It's know, gets trendy, you mean, kind of? It does. Um, also, I think we're, um, we're, we have a lot more access to information about wine than we did more than we did 10 years ago. Yeah. So, and I think the consumer is a lot more savvy now than they were 10 years ago. One, on buying and also on knowledge. Uh, makes our job more fun at sometimes, and also makes it harder at sometimes too. Because it'd be yeah. frustrating because uh, you know they, they you show them a wine and they automatically bring it, bring their phone out to the picture of the label. And they're like, well, this guy said it's only three and a half stars. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like, well, we tried the wine. It's, it's a five star wine. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Wine, you know. Yeah. Thanks, um, Vino. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, like WebMD for the doctors. Yeah, that's right. Sure. Same thing. Yeah. You not to look at yeah. that site yeah. at all, right? right. You know, they're right. self-diagnosed. Right. But yeah, how do you, like, it's got to be kind of like the art world that this guy deals in some. Um, you know, there's probably some basic laws that exist around there of what makes something good and bad. But I've, I've got to think a lot has to do with just the person, right? You know, and, and what they enjoy. So yep. how do you. And it's a. a a progression like so i've been in business 16 years and i've seen people start off with actually take my wife for instance when we opened she didn't even drink wine mm-hmm. then she got into bubbles and loved prosecco and then kind of moved into cava now it's if it's not champagne i'm in trouble oh yeah <laughs> so yeah. it's yeah um so yeah, yeah, which is I a just, lot of what white zinfandel did really i mean people kind of gateway yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that that's actually a question of ours because we I have some. I remember people talking about white Zin back when it was super popular. How they're adding color to it, making mm. it more beautiful, and they're adding some sugar to it, make it sweeter. That was the thing. Is white Zin still a thing these days? Is it kind of died off? And is is rosé kind of replaced that? Is that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, I think initially it wasn't sugar added. It was a, it was a, it was a lot that didn't finish fermenting, and so it had residual sugar left in it from when it stopped and, Z- and Zinfandel's a red grape so I think it was just a rosé of Zinfandel mm-hmm. and it's they, like well let's it. just this is actually pretty good <laughs> is that see what this happened kind of pioneered that push yeah yeah the one that right. put it on the map but, right right um, so did wine so that kind of followed the Zima to the seltzer the hard seltzer kind of path like the people did the wine I think you're kind of spot on well I know you'd be joking but you're actually it's right I mean like we 
we all make fun of people who drink wine zen. Well, we all drink wine zen. Mm-hmm. We all make fun of people who drink azima. We all have had azima. Yeah. We, we, and we, and now but, they're drinking hard seltzer. Right, it's we, we the move, same we thing. On. But, you, know? I mean, you, you start out at a beverage, one, what you can afford yeah. at the time, you know? Two, you Mad don't want to 2020. Don't, I mean, we've had some good days in Mad Dog 2020. All right. Vintage years. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it just, you know, our palates evolve, um, our wallets evolve. Yeah. You know, and so, and, and that, that goes with it. That goes, I think, with art, right? Same mm-hmm. way. I mean, it, to, to buying good food, to buying good wine, you know, we just, we, things change. And then people create niches. And I think, I mean, if I can ask this question, how many people you got out there who are buying the most expensive stuff because it's the most like like any other market you've probably got things that are very overpriced and undervalued or you know and then other things that are very overvalued and underpriced so like is it your guys job to find that medium or like in in your guys businesses it's like probably sell the highest margin i don't know or do you try to you tr- or- i try to find the best wine for the best price so that's one uh, yeah most all my wine that i taste i I mean, pre-COVID, I was tasting almost 5,000 wines a year. Yeah. Take notes on every one of them. And I'd like try to guess the price in my head, what I would sell it for. And if I think it's $25 and it would be a $10 wine, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, here we go. Well, Chris, that's a great so, segue into my next question. Um, what, in your mind, is the difference between a $20 bottle of wine and a $200 bottle of wine? Uh, to me, it just depends on the way it's, uh, how long it's been aged. Those $200 wines need five to seven years in my mind, maybe 10 to be not actually drinkable, but in their prime where most $20 wines are less Oak ready to go. Now, is, similar to like Weston's silver ghost. It's Oak there, but it's not heavily oaked. Since you've tried all these wines that you just talked about, is there a price point where you know you're going to get a good wine or is it you stick to the, the vineyard and, does price point uh, come into effect with your customer base or you specifically? No, I mean, I mean, I've got probably five hundred wines in the store, and seventy five percent of them are under, for sure, under fifty dollars, if not mm-hmm. under forty. Right. I mean, so, but I do have the three hundred dollar bottles. Or what's your best seller, Chris? Uh, besides Silver Ghost. Yeah, besides Silver Ghost. Silver yes. Ghost is my yeah. best selling <laughs> Napa, for sure. But nice. um, is it really? Mm-hmm. Nice. Is it because the, the label was designed by a video game designer? Or is that, how is that? No, because Russell Bevan made it, and it's really good. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, we don't know what that means. Yes, we do. It's a little, little wine joke. joke. That's a wine, yeah. that's a bad wine joke. That's a bad wine But no, uh, it fluctuates from, like uh, Richard was saying, rosés during the summer, I can't keep them in stock. Mm. And it kind of slows down, and they... People are moving into kind of lightly oak Chardonnays, Pinot Noir now, for especially around fall, Thanksgiving, coming into the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's I really don't have a number one seller. People just fair enough. I saw recently, maybe it's not so recent, but you just received a certification in um, is it a wine ambassador of Italy? Yes, through Italian uh, Vinitali. Vin Italy, Vin Italy. Uh, wine school. Yes. Excuse me, I pronounced that wrong. Yeah. No problem. Tell, Chester. Tell us about <laughs> Chester. Will you tell us about that, please? Um, Chester's going to love this podcast. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I think a real funny. friend of ours. Chester. Okay. Okay. Right. It's a real person. And he worked for me. Richard, yeah. So, yeah. Well, the that was like two years. Richard just uh, he yeah. didn't even acknowledge that the wrong name. Was like he just gave you the right name. Yeah. We'll edit that. Yeah. Yes. Back in July. Passed the test, which only 15% pass it the first time. 
taking the test. So it's a monster of a test. It covers anything from 2,000 years ago in Italy history all the way up to now, plus soil, and it's too much to talk about. Similar it. to the sommelier test, or is, it, is, that, is that what uh, it is? It's, yeah, it's basically the master's. Uh, the master psalm test, but only on Italy. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Instead of those guys have to know everywhere from. Wait, what's the uh, master psalm test? Like, how long does that take to. Uh, just, it took a lifetime for some people. Yeah. Some it's people, considered the. There's only about 250 or so master psalms, but how many yeah. are there of y'all? Almost 300 now. About so it's a pretty. I mean, oh, wow. he, he's a pretty exclusive club. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. The, but the master psalm is like all of, all of this, right? Correct. I mean, like from all over Europe, the. What's the quickest that somebody's kind of gotten that? Or the youngest master psalm? Mm. I don't know. It just happened a couple years ago. Is it, yeah. Um, Someone who did all three in the first try, right? Yeah, because y'all, y'all did not give us this question ahead of time. So yeah. We were not prepared <laughs> for these. <laughs> this is not this topic, topic, right? so. I think it was Chester who did it. Yeah, we wigged that one. I'm going to take a glass real quick. Okay, next question. How many master psalms are there? Did you guys say that? How many master psalms are there? About 250. 250 across the world. That's incredible. Is it like a celebration? Like it's like a victory? Like a new master psalm. Well, you know, I don't, you know, it's. It is, I think, still the hardest certification to get um, as far as passing rate out of any test. I mean, I'm including down to, I'm not saying it's harder than being a doctor, but it, it has a lower pass rate than the MCAT does. No kidding. By a lot, actually. I would imagine. Yeah. It's- um, and so it's just, these guys will study for forever to get this test, and, and they'll have a lot of fails. Um, and it's hard work. I mean, instead, of, I mean, it's kind of like training for a triathlon. They are mm-hmm. on; they're just training every single day with their other job they're doing to pass this test to be a master psalm. Interesting analogy: the triathlete and the coming master from me psalm. as well. As, yeah, thanks. Yeah, because <laughs> there's blind theory and service. Yeah, service. service yeah. yeah, yeah. And, they, and they're, these guys—they're studs. They're up there. Can you take it as many times, or is there? They, they, they I get think the if limit. you pass one, you have a year to taste the other two, and you've yeah. got to go back. And you, can, you can you can fail as much as you want. It's just it's, yeah. it's exhausting because it's 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 a lot of work um, and it's expensive. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you're working a job presumably, mm-hmm. and yeah, it costs a lot of money to take and, these tests. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a real good movie called Psalm about about the experience. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic looking is side it a documentary or is it a I drama? believe it is. Yeah. yeah it's there's a documentary. two or three yeah. of them now. Yeah. And and D. Lane. Guys in it. Yeah. It's not. Could be. Chester, I got Chester Cox. I'm not the Chester guy now. Yeah, yeah. Chester's Chester, 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 um, so he was also a lord in parliament. So, um, kind of those kind of things. He was, it was neat. He was like the first guy to drive uh, a car in, to, to parliament and as a commuting kind of car. And, uh, it gave Edward the seventh his first car ride and did a lot of automobile legislation, like helped change the speed limit from 12 to 20 back then. So oh, what pretty a, neat, what neat, a rebel, neat, neat stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so kind of in honor of his cool, adventurous life, I have Montague. But being in Cars, he was also pretty good friends with Charles Rolls and Henry Royce. And uh, back then they would make your car, but you would have your own custom hood ornament they called uh, the, um, the mascot. And so his was 
one that the, Charles Rules and, and Royce liked so much, they hired his same sculptor and his same model, which was his assistant, to be the model for their uh, hood ornament, the Spirit of Ecstasy, which you see on the Rolls Royce cars still today. So, kind of cool story with him. Yep. And his favorite car was a 1909 Rolls Royce Silver Ghost, which is where I have the Silver Ghost brand. Yeah. Is that what's Wait. on the hood of your car, Richard? I saw you pull in this morning. I, I have that car. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But does the Rolls Royce have you wings, or that's just a, it's just a figurine <laughs> of like a woman? Is there, is there wings on the? Yeah, I can't like think a, of it. Yeah, with like some low, uh, yeah. like uh, blowing. Kind yeah. Of, Last Did the model wear the wings during the sculpting, I think so. or was that an after add-on? Well, it was, the story was that they saw her like on a kind of like where my mind's going. Yeah, kind of like on a, a balcony purple, type of thing. And come on down <laughs> and saw this. Yeah. So, uh, what, what's the shipwreck uh, portion of that story? Oh so, well, that's yeah. So I get <clears throat> so on the label. It I, I like to talk about how she was an assistant. She was actually his kind of mistress as well. So okay. they were on a trip during World War One in the Mediterranean. The story's going to, getting better. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they were torpedoed by a uh, German U-boat. And he, my great grandfather happened to survive, and she his. Uh, Eleanor Thornton was her name, and she she died in the in the wreck. Oh wow! So yeah, but um, that's the shipwreck story. Was he on an, an island? Or was he was no? He I think alone? He, yeah. He now he just just, he just was fished there. out. Yeah, wow. yeah. A few Incredible. hours later, yeah. Well, um, turning back to I talk a little about region, regions of the wine world, um, Chris. Because of your Italian expertise, uh, could you briefly tell us a little bit about the the wine world as we see uh, Italy. Wait, before we do that, yep. does England make any wine? Like any wines they in do, the UK? Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I was just thinking about your grandfather. Yeah, so, so my, my great uncle, which is my uh, great grandfather's son, he was big into wine. A lot of people in England are, of course, clarets, what they would call like Bordeaux. And um, he planted a vineyard in England southern England uh, in the 70s and has grown white wine on there ever since and they do a lot of bubbles from there now and, okay. that, and now it's kind of a trendy thing English bubbles are becoming pretty uh-huh. popular as well okay um, but yeah so it's neat they still do it and uh, yeah one day I want to get over there and make some wine off of that yeah. too so sorry Chris I didn't be fun. your answer yeah. there yeah yeah English bubbles are very popular now because it's getting warmer in Champagne so they're looking further north to get more Acidity, Further, so for sure. Please tell us everything you know about Italian regions. In Ten seconds. <laughs> uh, yes. Just kind of the lay of the land. Definitely Italy in the south part. So south of Rome, down to the boot is uh, definitely warmer, hot, and so mm. um, mostly reds down there. You've got some pockets where you do uh, whites, but it's all down on the the tip of the boot. You get a grape called Alianico on the other side in Apulia. Uh, they're known for a grape that's similar to Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Primitivo, and then going up north of Rome and Tuscany, of course, known for Sangiovese. You've got Brunello, Chianti. Uh, on the other side, on the east side, you definitely have the same thing. Abruzzo is known for a multiple Chiano, and you go into uh, Marche up the there. You got Lambrusco, and then up in the north, the up in the northwest, you've got uh, a Piedmont, which is known for Nebbiolo, which I brought a Barbaresco. Um, then when the Barbera, and then on the northeast side, mostly known for whites, Pinot Grigio, Prosecco, just cooler up there. So, and they grow reds, but they don't get that ripe. So they're cooler grapes. Fair to say, yeah. you you, are, you got your certification in this Italy um, special specialization because of your love of Italian wine. Yes, definitely the the food, the culture. I've just always. I love for Italy. I've never been there. It's just sure. one of those things. You, That's even better. I mean, I, 
I travel through bottles of wine. I mean, I'll try something and I read about it, find out what it is. And that Italy was just so intriguing. They make like, there's 5,000 different grapes. There's hundreds of regions. They all have their different cuisine. And they just, that was a challenge. And I saw that and was like, I'm going to do that. So. Do you think you'll be going at some point? Yes, we'll definitely go next year. Nice. I was supposed to be in Sardinia actually yesterday, but I didn't feel safe traveling yet. So. Yeah, we well, had this right. to be yes. here. Yes. I already this committed. Thank so you. I had yeah. to cancel. Yeah. Thank you. So. Richard, uh, he, um, Chris brought up the, the aspect of the food aspect. So yeah. how important is it? Is it, is it, is the, the food's got to stand on its own, clearly. Mm-hmm. Does the wine complement the food, or the two have to be like, right there par with each other or one can overcompensate um well first thing a lot of people overthink that question like i just did like you just did mm-hmm. well, well done thank you um you know, chester helped I, me yeah, yeah, good job, Bob. <laughs> yeah. so you know i i think you know i i tell people the on food pairings it is important especially to us you know because we, we want to elevate the food and also elevate the wine at exactly the same time yeah you know, we also have the nomenclature we all kind of heard growing up is, you know, red wine, red meat, white wine and with seafood. That is definitely out the window by by, by far now. Okay. Um, so, and, you know, food, I just, you know, Chris's example is probably the best one is, you know, where it grows, you also drink. So if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, have a Sangiovese or Chianti, then have it, have it with Italian food. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of a simple way of pairing. Um, but you know, when you get to Wesson's wine, you know, California doesn't have a different, different uh, kind of cuisine, but his wines are, you know, big, bold, larger tannins. And so it needs a, of a different style of food to kind of break that wine down a little bit and mm-hmm. also break down the food as well. So, um, but more importantly, you know, just, I tell people all the time, you know, if you're at a restaurant, you know, just ask the Somte, Hey, this is. You know, we, we like this style of wine, but we also want to make sure it's going to pair what we're eating. And that's when you get to have fun. You know, I mean, you do it all the time. You're like, hey, man, help me out. What will what, what, what we drink tonight? Mm-hmm. And our first question is, well, why don't you figure out what you're going to eat first? And then yeah. when, we, when we get your dinner down, then we'll, we'll bring three to four different options of what you like. And then we'll kind of go from there. So. Can, you, can you go like uh, wild card for the first like before dinner kind of deal? Well, it's bubbles. Oh. I mean, bubbles is the okay. absolute best way to, to start off any meal and finish a meal because it doesn't stay in there like it clean. It's kind of clean. Deal. It does. Well, you know, one one, it's a good, it's a good just palate cleanser, refresher to mm-hmm. you know get your you know your mouth kind of going. It also pairs well with almost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of people that don't like champagne or mm-hmm. sparkling wine, so that's we always tell go start off with that, yeah. and then we'll, then we'll roll into something else. Yeah. Weston, if you uh, if you mind handling the uh, Sonoma sure. Napa region yeah. of the United States, because mm. you actually spend some time there. Right? I didn't realize we're going on a tour today. We are. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. The wine we're having now, Weston. This is this before. Oh, excuse me. We got to Chris's wine, but before that, we had we had some of your Montague Cab. Correct. Right. Exactly. Yep. We had the Montague Cab, and that one is from a vineyard uh, right where that Napa Valley starts that the sign that says Napa Valley it's in a town called Rutherford uh, this wine is from the Bextoffer George III vineyard which is a historic vineyard in Rutherford um, so kind of mid mid valley valley floor so we have in, in north coast here we have uh, Napa Valley towards the east which you'll see in the I guess the lighter green and um, then you have the other two are both in Sonoma County so Sonoma Valley is a sub region of Sonoma County 
Uh, and then you have the other more like kind of Sonoma Coast probably is what that actually is looking at the one that says Western Sonoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so basically what you want to know is Napa Valley is known for Cabernet and Bordeaux varietals, but almost exclusive Cabernet. There's some Chardonnay that's great and some other ones that are great, but by and large Cabernet. And what you want to know about Sonoma is Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. That's where their really their focus is. But there's some great old vines, Zinfandel, a lot of interesting things. I mean, both of them grow all sorts of things. Everything grows well out there. But those are the ones, if you really want to try to learn, focus in on. That's Cabernet there, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay out of Sonoma Valley. And um, yeah, I mean, it's an awesome place. Very distinct um, visits as well for, for, for touristing. Um, Napa versus Sonoma. Um, Sonoma's a little more kind of spaced out, a little more laid back. Napa's really, right. really fun and great restaurants everywhere you can walk. So, uh, what really, are really old cool vines? Places. In like, do, why, why the name Old Vine? Does it come like oh, from an old? Yeah, vine? I mean, Chris would probably be really good about this, but it because it's originally an Italian varietal, right? Um, planted. A lot of those old vines are over 100 years old at this point. Um, so just yeah, yeah, from yeah, the immigrants that came from East Coast all the way to the West Coast. The, Martinelli families and, yeah. and, and all those. I mean, even Mandavi's family ended up in Lodi and then they made their way to Napa. Um, but yeah, you're looking at, I don't think there's a, in the United States, I don't think there's a no, number right. for old vine, no. but mm-hmm. when that's, most people are, you're looking at 70, 80 plus when they say old vine. Okay. Yeah. Is there a demand for old, old vine? Wines? Uh, yeah, it's those bush train vines that are just like gnarly. They're gnarly. not those, yeah. like the picture you had a minute ago. Like they're not the perfect rows. They're like these gnarly looking. Yeah, like one shrubs. sticking out of the ground. So and like, what is that? It's, yeah. But so, uh, it can make a pretty decent wine, even though yeah, it looks they're intense, like not they're, so good. No, they're intense yeah. fruit. I mean, there's some, yeah. even in that vineyard uh, right down the street, Tokolon, they've got some cab that was planted in the 50s, and it's the same way. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. Yeah, oh, most I sourced some Pinot Noir in Sonoma Mountain, which is in that lighter, darker green, I guess. That's apparently the oldest Pinot Noir planted in California now because some other people have ripped some stuff up, and it was planted in the 50s. But it's like, I mean, it just struggles. It, it has trouble getting ripe kind of sometimes, but it's just some really neat stuff. It just gives a different intensity and character to it. Um, so, I mean, it's just fun to play with that kind of how, history. How big is water an issue in this? I mean, you know, and uh, and the irrigation of some of the stuff. You know, you look at California, it's gone through a tremendous amount of drought and fires and all this stuff, and you just wonder, I mean, clearly they've designated the appropriate resources toward this, but do you all see certain spikes in prices of certain things based on kind of speculation like that? Like uh, things like that, like water? I don't know about access water, to? but it's, I mean, the drought's definitely affected, and it sometimes concentrates the grapes, but over a long time, it will hurt the industry but yeah i mean i think wesson can speak on that pretty strong I, you know i mean obviously it lowers yield a lot of times okay and mm-hmm. so lower lowering the yield of the production they still have to make money every yeah. single year so they, can, if they make a thousand bottles one year for a perfect perfect you know weather and then the next year not great weather make 200 the cost is still the same yeah to run everything <clears throat> and so they got to figure that out so i mean mm-hmm. so it can you know affect the economy a little bit in the wine market yeah but they kind of some kind of blend those economics over the right. years if yeah. you can. Yeah. So the, the customer's not hitting it every single year, different price points. Yep. 
Is the Farmer's yep. Almanac the best source that you all use for No, there's an app for that now, actually. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the biodynamic app. Yeah. What right, day Richard, is it? Is it a fruit day? If you would indulge us. Last Matt Johnson, that one. Yeah. yeah. It's an, <laughs> if you would indulge us, Richard, with, you don't have to turn around, but behind okay. you is the Bordeaux oh, oh, region of. You're going to tell me what it is. Okay, you can name them all from north I, to I, south. I left in my banks already. Could you give us your <laughs> overview of the Bordeaux region in France? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of us in the wine industry um, kind of put Bordeaux as one of the absolute world-class styles of wine. You know, that they, they're kind of um, the foundation for a, lo- a lot of countries and, of winemaking and mm-hmm. also wine growing. Based a lot on weather, right? And water. Okay. Yep, yep, yeah. And weather. Yep. You know, so, you know, um, bring a good question. So France kind of termed, uh, coined a term called ter- terroir. And so terroir is a huge um, play for them, and basically that is its weather comes into play for that. Yeah. yeah, it's weather, it's uh, what's in the soil, and then also it goes in what the West does on the winemaking side. So those are the three kind of ways with terroir. So with this Ducru we had earlier, you can taste their terroir. You can taste kind of the year, the vintage. You can taste the style of the Ducru, and then you can definitely taste that it, it is a cab based in that soil, and you know, in those you know, the gravelly kind of soils. So. Um, Bordeaux, you know, uh, I love them. You know, they they has this prestige level. I think because of this classification system that happened in the mid eighteen hundreds. But Bordeaux's also they're, they're awesome values. You can get great great Bordelais style wines for twenty bucks up to forty forty bucks. You don't you don't have to spend a ton of money on those wines. Um, I can't see the map behind me. I'm assuming it's still there, but it's kind of for the most part divided in a super simple. Right bank, left bank. Mm-hmm. Got a river running right down the middle. Yeah. Right bank is the northern portion, left bank. Yep, and so. right Merlot. That's how I remember it. R, Mer. So right, right Merlot, Merlot based, and then left bank is all Cabernet based wines. Where's um, the L in Cabernet? How do you. Uh, <laughs> Calabernet. Cabernet? It's yeah. a French pronunciation. Yeah. Oh, I right. think yeah. that comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, I think most of us know. Bordeaux as more cab wines, but even though they produce a lot more Merlot than they do on, on cab um, in, in Bordeaux. So, you know, but you get, you definitely get a different style. I mean, all three wines we're having today, we're going we're gonna to get totally different, unique um, profiles out of them. But this, I mean, you know, you, you do, you taste that, that little, that grit, that dirt, that Mother Nature part of it, um, which I, not, I love that kind of style, you know, out of it. Um, you know, and in, in, in France, I mean, they are, they are very, vintage um, focused, you know, that, that, I mean, if, if they have off vintages, you, you know, um, the, some, sometimes those are going to be the better buys, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. for, for consumers. They might not be these wines that will, you know, you want to sock away forever, you know, um, drink them right now, but they're, they're, you can get some great wines um, because, you know, Bordeaux is really focused on vintages. So when they have these great vintages, you know, like the 82, you know, it just it it just becomes this epic vintage, and all of a sudden, everybody in the whole world knows about this one vintage in this one area. Yeah, and not a whole lot of countries can say that about a vintage. You know, but everybody knows certain vintages of Bordeaux. So they tell just, us why eighty two. That's a great point. Why is eighty two such a synonymous year with great wine in this region? Well, uh, there's a lot of answers to that. I, I honestly think one of the biggest answer. I mean, one of the main answers for that is Parker. Parker. That was one of his first big reviews. Was 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 the France was of the Bordeaux and the eighty mm-hmm. twos, and it really put Bordeaux massively on the map for the United States to purchase uh, those wines. 
Um, it was a great vintage. So, you know, on the winemaking and farming side, it was, it was just like this perfect vintage. Mm-hmm. Um, but and you're still drinking great. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they still have a lot of life vintage. in them, they're, you know. What's an average bottle, like, cost, about cost? It all depends on who it is. I'll just take with this guy right here. So an 82 Ducru, probably about 350 to 400. If you can find it. You know, if you can find them. <laughs> um, you have any that you don't have anything, Chris? Huh? You sold that, like, you can't find them? That was way before my time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, for instance, you know, y'all have a bottle of 1975 Lynch right? So different region than this Ducru comes from. Uh, different vintage, different year, totally different wine. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's going to be nine day difference. Yeah, and both Bordeaux, but different parts of right. Bordeaux. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah, and so that, that's what that's what I kind of really love about Bordeaux is you can really go one mile over and have a totally different experience in the bottle than you yeah. would. And Italy's the same way. Italy, Napa, yeah. you can get in the yeah, Butterford and, 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 and Napa, we're, we're getting there. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. that, that's the thing about you know we drink a lot of Napa in Fort Worth, but I mean, uh, you know, Napa is relatively young, considering small. two thousand years. For Italy, two thousand years for France, right. and 60s. 70 for, yeah. for for Napa. You know, so I mean, we're, we're Napa's doing great as for how young they are. Yep. Well, since you brought up Robert Parker, I have on the slide uh, James Suckling, Robert Parker. I was curious of the three of you's thoughts. Why have these guys become such pioneers in the wine uh, rank rating industry, and what makes them so, so special in this regard? Why are they? Why is what they say? Obviously, Chris, you sell wine. You sell wine. You sell wine. Their their opinions matter and they mean something. Why? Weston, go ahead. Yeah, for my, well, yeah. So yeah, people ask about the critic type of thing a lot. Does it matter? What do you think about it? I, I think I think critics are going to exist in everything all the time. For, so there's no real point of trying to. Some people really try to I really don't like it, and I I'd say, well, I mean, you got movie critics, you got art critics, you got food yeah. critics, you got every critic. You're always going to have critics. Some uh, people just criticize other people. Well, like me. <laughs> was, yeah, well, that's why are you looking yeah. at me? <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I think what's going on. So for a while there, it was really Robert Parker was kind of the guy for Napa, and he, he was the, right the kingmaker. The He's the right. He's, he's okay. the one. Robert's yeah. on the right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and right now we're in a situation more with uh, a handful, probably like five to six different publications slash people who are doing uh, uh, wine criticisms. I guess. Yeah. Most of them yeah, work for Parker at some point. Antonio. Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of a good place to be because you can't try every wine on the shelf. Now, you, do you want to always go under scores? No, you don't. But you also can find somebody who has a palate that's like yours and start to understand what they like. And you can, I don't know, try to find some things that make sense for you from reading them. So I think they play a role. They just shouldn't play the only role in a buyer's, um, um, I don't know, decision, I guess, really. Yeah. And most of the time, they're way different. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and name names. One publication will give this one ninety five points, and it'll come out and say Spectator will give it eighty eight. Like, yeah, and that just goes to show, like, okay, well, I, I I seem to align with Parker's palette. I will go with his scores right. under Napa, but I really like Galoni's scores and Sonoma, or this or this or that, and uh, so that matters there. When it comes to like, but like Chris's Chris's store is cool because he tastes every wine in his store. So you go to Chris and you're like, well, I. Typically agree with what Chris does. He only buys stuff he tastes, so he I can tell me all buy about it. Scores, um, like yeah. I don't have. No, what are they? Uh, Shelf talkers, talkers, yeah. I'm sure. That what's stuff. your What's the biggest range like of something you've bought and that you don't buy it off of scores, but that you've you've bought and carried that maybe like really low on a range or really high on a range that you just didn't. Do you? Do you something I've carried the longest. 
or just yeah. like one or or one that you, that you really like that maybe didn't score that high or one that you really like that that uh scored really high and that you maybe not do you not know about do you kind of do a blind thing when you do it yeah, like just take, mm-hmm. yeah sometimes or right, so you so don't like, even look do at the scores, scores later on like, yeah no, i don't know yeah. what i mean What's the um, Trader Joe's two buck chuck typically come in at on a score level, and which region is it produced in? Next question. Yeah. Every, yeah. every region, I think, is the answer. Yeah, I think it's Central Valley, and um, oh, there's an answer. Don't, What's a good pairing squ- for that one? Um, <laughs> sangria, uh, Waterburger. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. it's two buck chuck. So I mean, yeah. you, you got to stick with you know where, where it's grown. A taquito or more of a burger? Oh, burger. Um, okay, yeah, come on. Thank you, yes. Richard. Why, why do you think these two gentlemen, Suckling and Parker, why why do, why is, why do they become such powerhouses in this industry? What makes yeah. them so great? Well, you know, I think one of the main, I mean, the score and credit conversation has always been very controversial, you know, um, and I think they've already touched on both of that side of it. On the layman's side for wine, which is majority of all Americans um, who drink wine, they needed something to know a guide. And that's what Parker really invented was this 100 point system. Mm-hmm. Right. And so whether you like it or not, it did boost up the confidence for a customer to just to walk in and to go buy a wine on a score. Now, whether we like that not model or not, but it did get somebody's like, I want to come in and if that, that wine's 91 points, it must be somewhat good because yeah. somebody thought it was 91 points. Yeah. Um, now, whether you agree with it, you know, that's a different, that's, that's a controversy that we always talk about. So I mean, you have to give them a lot of credit. You know, um, he's the one who kind of started the hundred point scale, which everybody now has kind of follows all these other, Publications and critics, and except for I guess there's a, a my Janice mm-hmm. does not do one she does 20, 20 point yeah. right. So, um, but you know he started and, and it makes it easy to for that consumer who doesn't know about wine to like, okay, well I'm just gonna go I'm gonna go to Chris's shop and can you give me some wines that are at least ninety points or above? And Chris is like, um, I can help you out that. So Chester you know, Cox gave this ninety one yeah, point. That's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, where's Chester's photo? Uh, was that next? <laughs> I thought I saw it, but I didn't get up there. Luckily, sorry, Chris got me started. Sorry, keep yeah. going, Richard. Sorry. No, no, no. I, mean, I just, it just I, I think it's a, it was it's a good guide. Yeah, you know, um, it's a basis. It's like a good basis. Um, you know, but it's also great. We we, we we talk about scores and argues arguments all the time. It's a fun really? thing. For, yeah, it's fun to talk about. Sure. I mean, I tried uh, Verita a minute ago yep. before I came. Hundred points. Point one. Was Are like, you in the car? Where, where would this happen? Uh, rep came by the store. <laughs> okay, good. Um, yeah, I have it in my trunk. If you want to try it. Uh, yeah, you just taste it. You're like, it's good, but like, how do you give that wine 100 points? I was like, yeah. So you just you probably disagreed with his ranking based on your reaction right now. I mean, they taste more wine than I do, and they're, right. they've got what they're, that wine, and they're projecting that wine to be 100 points in five years. Nice. They're, they're not just telling you right now that wine is... That, 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 that's I a mean, big thing, right? They're saying that wine is a perfect wine, right? Yeah, perfect yeah. wine, no flaws. That's hard. That's hard to to say anything as a perfect, right? Well, I think know, that's why suck, I think he's only given one perfect wine ever. Suckling, suckling, yeah. right? I think he did do it one time, and it was for like a ten year old Chateauneuf or something like that. I, I can't remember, but it was, there's something about it. He just is not. His, he gives his, high scores, but he doesn't give hundreds. Right, right. Because well, for that reason, he's like, what, what can be hundred? Yeah. You know, then there's like how many guys like go with you? Sorry, that's because, not suckling. That's Tanzer. Was it? No, I think that was the that's suckling. suckling. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Tanzer. Yeah. Sorry. Tan, sorry. Yeah. Tanzer's Tanzer. the one that only gave one hundred pointer. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah I did, I did, sorry. Wine sorry. spectator hairdo. If I've ever seen one of that. There's a guy who likes wine, doesn't like getting his hair fixed. 
um, the picture but, proves that. But you, I think your your point is valid. Like a uh, hundred point wine, if you if you're an just an average drinker and you see a hundred point wine and you can afford it, it's a, it's it's almost a marketing ploy. Like you're gonna want to buy that. It's it draws you to it. Even yeah. if yeah. to your point, Chris, not necessarily gonna be the best one you've ever had. In theory, it should be. But it's not. It's just like it's, it's almost. And a you, have to, right. you have to give kudos to the winery that got that under the verite we just had. I mean, mm-hmm. awesome to them. You know, whether we thought it was a hundred point or not. I mean, yeah. good for them. That that wine is going to sell great. Yeah. It's going to sell out. It's going to demand a high price because somebody thought it was a perfect wine. Right. But does there does influence come in that all of a sudden like they're taking this guy to the like you know the best dinner to try the wine or you know that kind of thing where it's kind of like a usually it's usually it's done at the at the office yeah with their office or sometimes it's done on one side they're blind so he'll do like he'll yeah. go to napa and yeah. somebody will he'll rent an office and they'll be like yeah. thousands of wines in there and they'll blow through them yeah but then uh, people come to the store asking me for a, a maybe a big score wine or my favorite wine mm-hmm. i don't want to sell that to them necessarily they may want a Pinot Grigio, and I'm going to sell them a Chateauneuf de Pop, and they're going to think I'm an idiot because that's they don't like that wine. So that's my first question: is what do you drink? I mean, what are you wanting? That's yeah. not just because I like it doesn't mean well. And you're think about like it. the I mean, kind of like somebody's coming to you to have, just kind of drink some wine. Somebody's coming to Richard to kind of drink some wine to eat. Somebody maybe coming to Weston is like. I'm interested in the manufacturing aspect of it, you know, like what goes into it. You, you know, I mean, you have like just between the three of you guys kind of a different checkpoint for everybody. And, and someone's going to gravitate maybe more towards one over the other just mm-hmm. as far as the use case goes, you know. Right. So, Weston, what what role does uh, smell play in, in wine drinking? Obviously, we all here know that it does. But for the, the layperson, what is that? What does smell? Why is that such a big deal? Yeah, well, I don't, who, I don't know. Why is it such a big? I'm not sure, but I mean, it is the biggest thing yeah. for wine drinking. Um, I don't know why, but it's just it's basically wine is all about the smell, which then you then basically retro nasally smell when you're tasting the wine. God, so big, you're basically confirming yeah. what you just smelled in a way. <laughs> such um, an enophile. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's when you just start to become more of a. Really into wine is when you are, uh, when the smell becomes so important to you, uh, and then you just kind of drink it to confirm that and and, and enjoy both parts. Certainly, like like Ducrue, I I love Ducrue. To me, is always has probably one of the best noses in Bordeaux all the time. I I love that wine. Like, what's it do? Smell like? What's it? I mean, flowery. Like, what does it? What kind of? You know, I I I was always. Are you not drinking with us? Can you not hold a glass? No, no. I just like I just want to like this. I just wonder what that. Like, what is it that, like, what are you looking for in a smell, I guess, is kind of, or the nose? Yeah, complexity, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, yeah. For one thing, just a bunch of different things going on, different layers and depth. No yeah. flaws. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. TCA, flaws, that's the first thing. No I mean, flaws. smoke from a fire. Yeah, I mean, the main thing is with a TCA, a wine being cork, that's the first thing. I, I mean, I just make sure the wine's clean. Yeah. And then go from there. If this is a cab. Yeah. Where it should smell like these check marks on my head, and then does it taste like that and then go from there instead of yeah a, a good thing like last night you know um, cool experience is we opened up a 2014 Bolne um, from Burgundy and it smelled just like oh, it was awesome it was fantastic but the palate had just nothing on it really that's right so the bouquet on it was just it was there it was it was really perfumey a lot of violets on this great stuff going on then we tasted the wine it, it was just kind of flat yeah, and and then so that told us, you know, let's throw it into canner, 
let's let it open up. The smell's not going to necessarily go away, but the wine will start to develop a little more as, as oxygen hits it. And then after two hours later, the the bouquet matched to the mm. palate, you know. Cool. Um, and, and that's what the, the nose, what Wes was saying, it's kind of the most important thing in wine. Um, but the, the, the profile of the palate caught up to it, but it took some time to. Yeah, you know? yeah. What's what's the best way in you guys' mind for someone who doesn't drink wine who wants to be involved with wine? I know I think I know the answer, but in your mind, what's the best way for somebody to get into wine? Buy who doesn't wine know much about is it drinking it? <laughs> no, spice spice <laughs> over ghosts. That's what you do. Uh, yeah, just, just drink, taste. Yeah, just, I mean, yeah, just, just I mean, play with it. Taste is the way you learn and learn yeah. what you like, and go from there. And then you, I mean, like we we're talking a white zen a minute ago. It, people start in white zen moscato, and then that starts getting a little too much sugary too then like let's try pinot grigio or then they get into chardonnay then they go into pinot noir and keep yeah. going until you find your and some the people just get stuck in their what they like and then yeah. they go from there i mean that's what and pinot falls and, and, and the pairings <laughs> I mean, too because you'll have people that say oh i don't like sweet wine i'm like well, careful you need to try sauterne <laughs> with like Stilton, I mean that'll that'll say. Well, look, you, you can't say you don't like sweet wine until you've tried those kind of things. I mean, there are there mm -hmm. are all sorts of fun things you can do and really really get into it yeah, that right. way. Yeah, yeah. There's magical pairings. That's right. Yeah. Well, and Classic. also you know like yeah, uh, pop out of your comfort zone. You know, is you know a lot of people go like I'm, I don't drink white wine. I only drink Cabernet. Well, that's not necessarily true. You haven't had anything else besides Cabernet, really. Mm -hmm. Um, are you you haven't had a white wine yet that you love? You've had some white wines you don't like, you know. And so, you know, I, I send people to to put a cork in all the time because what Weston's already mentioned that Chris tries every wine that he that is in his rack. And so you have to tr go go to a buyer that starts knowing you, and so you don't have to go through all those questions. Yeah, like what do you like? How much do you want to spend? Everybody hates answering those first time questions, but he's legitimately trying to figure out. I can steer you in 1,000 different ways. Guide me. Like, I want to spend no more than 25 bucks. Perfect. I like uh, I like La Crema. Great. I don't have that, but I have three other ones that are similar to La Crema in this price range that you're going to like. And so just, just start finding that normal buyer that you like and that trusts mm -hmm. you and you trust them. And then that's how you start learning more about wine real quickly. And that's for sure. Time. For sure. Thank you, guys. What, uh, uh, what for the holidays? What's, you know, we've got holidays coming up. What do you guys suggest? You, th you think like go big, you know, like Italian. really special or okay, Italian, Bordeaux, Napa. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There you go. Next question. Yeah, good, good one though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, man, I, I still I I'm I'm a I'm a champagne just champagne holidays. It's such a great drink. One to give as guests. Two for if you're gonna have parties, you gotta have champagne at a party. Um, next, I mean, you know, waking up Christmas morning, it's. It's just a lot going on. Champagne makes that day a little bit easier on families. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, and rosé champagne is so great with turkey. Oh, yeah. Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. That's yep. great. Nice. You know, that sound great. Yeah. I saw a, a story. We all, we've all seen this, I think, because of the pandemic. But um, one of the stories I read was, was that alcohol, that online alcohol sales rose 243% during the pandemic. Did you guys, all wine sellers, did you guys notice a spike during the pandemic? Huh. In, for individual for your wine sales. Well, did, did you get the other stat that Texas was one of the leading states? I did not. But we, that were. Sure makes we were. Sense. We, we, we were in the leading states. Okay. Good job, Texans. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Uh, helping out that helping out that economy for, for us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chris, that's probably your your your. I mean, realm. my sales were up. They weren't. Good God, they weren't up that much. 
<laughs> but you did see but, a spike because of the pandemic. Uh, definitely. I mean, like I said earlier, we had to evolve where before we were open a little longer, we started doing tastings, curbside service. I mean, stop doing tastings, curbside service uh, and uh, deliveries. I'm still doing deliveries. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we just adapted and it was crazy The when the world went down. Um, actually, I was in the hospital with COVID. Yep. Mm. And um, my employee, Kate, we text and people were wanting wine and thought it was all coming to an end and just sold a lot of stuff that first of those first two weeks and then kind of adapted. And so, yeah, it was, but definitely not 200%. Right. But, I remember seeing, you know, our driveway or our street, excuse me, during the first lockdown weeks, couple weeks, and maybe months. Every every recycle bin was just <laughs> stockpiled of empty wine bottles. It was humorous. I mean, you could see you've seen commercials, I think, or videos, but wine bottles, wine bottles, just stacked to the brim. Like people were just doing some serious drinking when they were stuck at home. So good for them. So, yeah. um, so one of the last things we got is a we want to do a little blind wine taste with you guys um, in in the in the brown paper sack in the middle. I have poured its contents into this decanter. I would look very much for you guys to take your time, sample this wine, and then show us all what maybe a blind wine tasting looks like. And while you do that, Britt and I have some little quiz, some quiz factoids, things to throw at you, keep you guys uh, talking about wine. Yeah, you know, it's gotten quite quiet in here, uh, just yes. to let you know. Yeah. The energy is... Work. I don't know if it's a Friday <laughs> afternoon or if it's the wine, but we're just slowly, or maybe it's looking at Jay taking a nap at the camera there. Yes. Uh, not sure what it is, but and you guys, some of you guys got to go back to work tonight, right? I can't answer that question. Don't set us up for this. Yeah. These are trained this is a Monday afternoon, right? right. Um, so hold your, hold your comments for a second while we go through a couple things. On the screen behind you, you don't need to look, but it's got a, the size of wine bottles. The largest being a Nebuchadnezzar. Have you heard that name before, Brendan? I have. Nebuchadnezzar oh, holds. <laughs> well, <laughs> a different concept, text maybe. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is the largest wine bottle you could buy, and then they're very hard to find. I, I would assume, but they hold twenty bottles. Mm -hmm. Twenty bottles of wine. Have you guys seen these? Have you guys been across these in your in your in your tenure? Oh yeah, we we do one every year. I have a crawfish boil um, every year at my house, and so I do a Nebuchadnezzar of rosé. Okay. And and shout out to Clay it. Fritz with the lost. I like how you pulled the lost canyon. That's a buddy of mine bought that. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. For uh, Clay Fritz. The most attractive yeah. graphic that's, I could find. I, I saw that earlier. That's funny. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Next question. No, Weston, any, any Nebuchadnezzars in Montague's uh, future? Um, there's a lot that goes into those. It's a tough I, sale, I, I, right? Yeah. yeah. How about some magnums. I, we could. I could sell the hell out of some magnums. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to work on that too. I, I know. I. Those Nebuchadnezzars are probably something more that you take an order for and you fill it Fair after enough. the order yep. yeah is it a, like a novelty thing or is it legit i mean no it's no it's legit yeah, i mean yeah, i know that I mean, it's like real and all but i mean is it something where it's just as a wine you know manufacturer like like I, this is too much like let me just keep to my craft and just keep well, doing that, this I mean, that's kind of thing the hard thing for me yeah it's a, a bit of that but they are cool they, they age totally differently they do a lot of different things yeah um, if you email but, Weston you want one I bet he'll make you one <laughs> yeah that'd be fun <laughs> yeah. yeah I have three liters in the store regularly all the time we sold sell a bunch of those especially during the holidays mm -hmm. people throw them on the table it looks cool which Bag one's the three liter uh, Jeroboam. Jeroboam yeah Jeroboam excuse me yeah. 
Magnums are popular too, just for that fact. The big bottle, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's so would the the Nebuchadnezzar be considered kind of the monster truck and the split the Prius, and then somewhere in there you've got a, a lifted vehicle, <laughs> and then up to I don't know, maybe just a leveled vehicle. Pour that thing, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Richard's so. I'm watching Richard. <laughs> well, I'm trying to get another cool car to put in there. Mm-hmm. That was great. Yeah. 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 Yugo. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Pinto. Warren's uh, Land Cruiser. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Richard's shirt. So there are <laughs> there are 10,000 varieties of grapes in the world. Oh, we're, we're back to questions we're again. Back to questions. Okay. Yeah. Back I, to I, like the, I like the car thing. Well, the, question, the question is this there's 10,000 varieties of grape, but do you guys know the top three wine producers in the world? There's three countries. Producers? Uh huh. Like the actual Italy, name France, of the, and Spain. the country. France, oh, the country. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I did want to ask Italy, something. France, and Spain. France, Italy, and Spain. Did you look at my notes? No. Because no. no, no. that's correct. Good. Yeah. Right. Um, China, though, is, is a, <laughs> one I wanted to discuss with you guys. China is making a surge in wine purchasing. The, what is going on in China that's leading to all their, their huge surge in buying wine? Some, suddenly, Wine Cash. is popular in China. Cash right. this Money. year, but over the last couple of years, five up. Yeah, they yeah. want to keep it from the Americans. <laughs> well, I, I think, I I think that one of the statement. one of the largest. Well, there's a great documentary on that. It's called Red, Red Obsession. Okay, it's awesome. It talks about the uh, the politics and the economics behind all of this and how it kind of got got going. Um, they actually really fluctuated the the, the future market for Bordeaux. They were they were buying these futures of Bordeaux, and just really jacked up the prices. Um, that we we actually didn't see a whole lot of uh, 13, 14, and fifteen coming to the United States because the China market was already put the prices so up, and we were like we can't afford them. Wow! Uh, and they didn't care. They were yeah. still, they were still buying all of it. Yeah. Um, it's slowly I think correcting itself back down again, but China I mean they are they're they're an impact big time. Napa cult wines through the roof too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So they do the research, like they're getting the good ones. Or I would just say they of... do some research. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's also a big status uh, for them. Yeah. For wine. having it on the table. Having the table. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you guys know what the most widely planted grape is in the world? Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. No, it would be. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a white grape Chardonnay. though. Okay, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, Cabernet yeah, Sauvignon. Aaron. Oh, really? Seven hundred thousand acres oh. worldwide. I wouldn't finish. It's but this is <laughs> this is actually on the internet, so we might yeah. not need to go with yeah, that yeah, answer. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I need Richard to ask on the, on the big wine manufacturers. They come in and the, would they say to you as like, um, "Hey, we want to use some of your buy some of your grapes." Is that how it works? Where you well, can, I actually buy my grapes from other growers, so oh, I don't okay. actually own any land or farm it myself. But I uh, I buy from. Various growers out there. Is there just like a big exchange for that, like a large market that exists, like either online or you have to go out there? Yeah, mostly just knowing people and Mm -hmm. meeting people and handshakes, by and large. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they have extra to sell, I guess, right? Well, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, most most everyone kind of thinks about it initially as like the estate model, which the, where the estate owns the land and they make, they own the winery and all these kinds of, but there are a lot of different ways of doing it. There's some people are just growers. Yeah. Uh, um, where all they do is focus like Andy Beckstoffer who owns, uh, the, 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 the vineyard where the Montague comes from, um, is probably the most, I don't know, sought after has some of the best vineyards in Napa Valley and he just, he just grows. Yeah. And he, but so he sells his, his fruit to other great wineries that do different amazing wines out of it. Uh, but he focused on the growing. 
And so everyone kind of has their own little niche. Yeah. Really. Okay. Okay. And even if you own a lot of vineyards, a lot of times, well, it was expected. Yeah. I'm trying to figure this one out. All right, Weston, this one's for you. How many grapes on average does it take to make a standard bottle of wine? Oh, oh man! I mean, grapes are clusters. Grapes, grapes. Jeez, oh, well, that's tough because that I mean, tough. you have like it depends on the varietal. Yeah, like mm. Zinfandel has big, Syrah has big grapes. Cab Sauv has tiny. Like, is that your final answer? Yeah, I'm two hundred. Well, ask no. Yeah, two hundred. That's okay, perfect. I'll, I'll go with two hundred. He, he nailed it. Good <laughs> job, good job, nice. Chris. Let's get to the taste test. Are you guys forming an opinion yet? When you told us I can't drink it. I'm going in. Okay, cool. Can we go in? Weston's looking at the, okay, the right. color. Oh, wait. The you, said you, they, you said they couldn't drink it? They have to only do no. all the other stuff? I'm just wait, giving wait, them wait, time go. to form an oh, opinion. Yeah. I, I believe it's red. Yeah. Okay. Definitely, right? They've all formed an I mean, opinion on you, Chester. Let me check my cheat, <laughs> cheat sheet. Yes, it's definitely red. It's dark color. It's definitely yellow. What grape? There's yeah. oak. All right, Weston, you want to you want to begin the big reveal? Why don't you let Chris do it first? Chris, let's begin you with you. You've been starting with Weston the whole time. Then, <laughs> well, you know, Richard, middle, middle. Weston, would you please leave the set? Yeah, we're going to deal only with Chris <laughs> yeah. Richard now. Um, oh, yeah, we could, we could mute his so we can't I'd be hear him. How do we do it as a group? I mean, it's... Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah that's I mean, a good idea. Dark color. I mean, to me, you get blue fruits, black fruits. Um, it's young. Definitely young. 18 vintage. It's showing a lot of oak. Um, is this what y'all do every time when y'all drink a glass of wine? Oh. I don't drink wine, but I'm watching this because I like... Okay, your Zima, when you pop the Zima, you're like, okay, this is last week. Hard <laughs> seltzer, excuse seltzer, me, yeah. Richard. Yeah. <laughs> to me, I'm leaning more towards Syrah. Yeah. Just because of blue, black fruits. Is it like Paso or is it Australia is where I am? I don't get the eucalyptus and all Agreed. that. Yeah. Do we... Or is this what lunch with you guys looks like or dinner? Mm-hmm. Like this is what Could it be. is? Yeah. Do you ever it's do this, this amongst yourself? Crazy. Yeah. It's like a surprise thing? We do this every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually. Every so, bottle I open, I... Yes. Do you have them over always... tell them to come to the store to do oh, it kind no. of thing? They're all 5,000 yeah. every year. Yeah. A lot of work. Yeah. It's, we're, we're, we're good friends. We have yeah. some good stuff together, but yeah. Do you guys remember uh, a gentleman by the name of Winston Churchill? Mm. He drank a champagne called Paul Rogers. Are you Paul familiar? Roger. Paul Roger. Mm-hmm. Forgive me. I've heard Editing. of it. Uh, <laughs> this is a little factoid. Paul, Paul Roger. That's embarrassing. Hey, uh, Paul. Courtney, I feel like we're getting the. I mean, you guys are the answer is on the tip of the tongue, and it's hey, like, hey, we're like uh, television <laughs> sideways this thing into we're a show. We're on television now, so we're gonna we're gonna space it out, and make a whole show out of this. Uh, according to the internet, he drank. Uh, Winston Churchill drank Paul Roger forty-two thousand bottles in his lifetime, which equates to about a bottle and a half every day his entire adult life. Thousand more to go, Richard. Got it, man. You are high on yeah. that trail. We're, we're in the yeah. first hour of five, so Caps, just yeah. Yeah. That's probably why they have a Paul Roger has a Winston Churchill label. That's their yep. tete to tete. Wait, Churchill drank that much? A bottle and a half a day is adult life. <laughs> Pretty good. What's the gin and vodka he drinks? That's, that's fake news. That's fake news. <laughs> yeah. so. yeah, there we go. It could be. Could you ask well, you know what, what Napoleon is? said about champagne? Well, you yes. have a mic too. You can ask the same question. <laughs> well, they were coming. To, they were going to with Australian or what? Uh, we were no. leaning toward Syrah, but I think it's a yeah. Like there was oh, yeah. We were two. talking about Australia, but it doesn't have the eucalyptus that you uh-huh. typically get in it. So I was going with Paso, Robles, California Syrah. And going back Personally, to you, this but, goes back to your question earlier about the aroma. So first we we do we we, we look at the color of the wine. We're, mm-hmm. we're doing deductive tastings. And so color will tell us a lot uh, of, you know, it, it give us a range of what it could be and what it can't be. 
um, that also tells an idea of the age of the wine. How? And just the, um, the thickness, well, like the so, syrupy, you know, the like the yeah, we're on the Duke crew right now, but you saw the, the Duke crew in this one. I mean, this is definitely a young wine within, you know, four years of vintage. That's the legs thing? Is that oh. legs? No. no the, the, okay. the depth and how rich it is and the color. Legs just okay. say that it has... Alcohol still in it, or doesn't like, have alcohol in yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, so legs, see, it's, it means see, this one starts to get a little bit more brown on the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, I mean, take a simple concept of like a, a, a strawberry, right? You have a fresh strawberry, and the odor it gets, the more oxygen it gets to it, it starts to get a little more brown on the edge. Yeah, the wine does the same thing. Yeah, you know that's a you know, quick analogy. Yeah, then then we will smell the wine, mm-hmm. and so we smell the wine. That's what Chris tomorrow. You'll, you'll smell those blue fruits on there. Um, eucalyptus, though. What? I don't know what a eucalypt like.
excellent sound effects for our audio. Oh, yeah. nice. We're opening a paper bag. Molly it Duker. is the Blue Eyed Boy. 2019 ah. Blue Eyed Boy Molly Duker Shiraz. So you guys were on the right track. Great. You guys are From where? Yeah. California. Is that California? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. across yes. the pond. It's Australia. Long yeah. pond. The big pond. It's Australia. Uh, Weston was closest then. Mm-hmm. Well, Richard never really disclosed. I, I did. I just said off over here. I had it right. I said Molly Duker. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Y'all just yeah. Said, yeah. We'll go back and edit this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I will go back and check the tape. Let's <laughs> <friend. laughs> we'll we'll go back. Yeah. We'll hey, you know what, Warren? When Richard started saying that he actually guessed it, I went back and listened. It wasn't the case. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'll stop you that then. Yeah. Uh, hope you guys had fun today. We've truly Loved enjoyed it. your time being here. Great. Um, Weston Eatson from Montague Wines, Richard King from Ellerby's. Please go visit Ellerby's. Chris Keel from Put a Cork in It. Go give visit a, Chris. Let him say. Yep. Give, give a website or something or anything like. You uh, got put your a cork address. In I don't do any e-commerce okay. or anything, but you can call me, Richard. We know. <laughs> go, but go ahead. Yeah, we're, we're creative. Yeah. LRBFineFoods.com. Yep. Excellent. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. What, what's yours? Uh, Montague Wines and SilverGhostCellars.com. He's got a fan yeah. on the page yes. too. Yeah. <laughs> if you like wine, you can't go wrong here. If you like food, you can't go wrong there. But wine in general, these guys are, are top of the top of the pyramid. So thank you guys yeah, very thank much. Thank you. you. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Cheers, guys. Yeah. The first ever. That's commenced. <laughs>